Hey folks, super excited to have Scott Forsgren, founder of BetterHealthGuy.com, on today's edition of the Thrivality podcast. Forging the fires of his own struggles with Lyme and complex illness, Scott has developed an 11-step process through trial and error in consultation with world experts on how to rebuild better health, again, when dealing with complex illness like Lyme and mold. Scott became violently ill in his 20s, describing it as the scariest thing he had ever experienced, right? He had difficulty walking, blurred vision, low-grade fevers, rapid heart rate, burning in his arms and legs, joint pain, nausea, digestive problems, brain fog, muscle spasms, numbing, tingling, you name it. He really went through it. Um, so what we cover in today's podcast is kind of a detailed um, health journey from falling ill in his 20s, uh, recovering over a two-year period, and then relapsing back into chronic illness, and how his first indication that he might have Lyme actually came from an acupuncturist and not uh, a regular physician. How Scott recovered and developed his 11-step process along the way. Why going after the bugs like Borrelia, Babesia, Bartonella, and parasites are step nine in this process and not number one. Why adrenal support is also later in the program at step number eight. The role molds can play in chronic illness some of the gadgets we have both tried along the way to help optimize our health, um, favorite sleep support, hacks, supplements, sound, and gadgets that we, we have tried, um, and of course, Scott's 11-step process in great detail, detail, which includes detox and drainage, improving external environment, optimizing sleep, right? Again, as I mentioned, we both share our favorite sleep hacks, um, importance of optimizing mental and emotional health, retraining the limbic system and how that is different than emotional health stabilizing mast cell and inflammation, aka histamine, etc., optimizing hydration, nutrition, the microbiome, and gut health, supporting the mitochondrial adrenal coagulation and something he calls KPU, which is which was new to me. Um, supporting microbiome or microbial overgrowth, right? So this is this this is the step everyone wants to talk about, which is how do I address the bugs and unwanted guests that are along for the ride, right, in, in my body. Um, Step 10, exploring dental contributors to chronic illness. And then step number 11 is how you continue the process of regeneration and restoration. So basically building and continuing um, on everything you've done so far. So it's a fantastic podcast. Scott has consulted with um, the best of the best in, in complex illness. He's got an incredible Rolodex. And I think you're really going to enjoy um, today's podcast. So enjoy. Hey folks, before we dive into the podcast today, I wanted to share three products that I use every day without fail. First, Healthy Gut. Hands down, my favorite digestive enzymes, butyrate, and betaine HCL supplements. I've had my struggles with gut health, and these have been the best products in this category I have ever used. So to learn more, visit HealthyGut.com and use the discount code THRIVE for 15% off, $15 off your first order. Secondly, do you want to reduce stress, increase your capacity for what life throws at you, and improve sleep? Without fail, two times every day, I use something called NuCalm to reset my nervous system, optimize sleep, and catch a second wind in the afternoon so I can fully show up in work and life. You can visit NuCalm, that's N-U-C-A-L-M.com, and use the discount code ES10OFF for 10% off your subscription. 
Lastly, what if you had a tuning fork of sorts for your home and body that enhanced your energy, raised your vibration, and helped mitigate the effects of EMF and other environmental stressors? Well, my friends at Leela Quantum have come up with an incredible line of wearables and home products that will help strengthen and enhance your life force to amazing new levels. I find I continue to need less supplements and other external support as I raise my own energy and mitigate the effects of environmental factors like EMF. So visit the show notes in today's podcast for a hyperlink for 15% off your order. Thanks, and now to the podcast. Hi, everyone. This is uh, EJS from Thrivality.com, and I am super excited to have Scott Forsgren uh, with me today on the podcast. Scott has had an incredible health journey. He's the founder of BetterHealthGuy.com, and uh, Scott became uh, violently ill in the late 90s. Um, It was the scariest thing that he had ever experienced. Overnight, his body was ravaged by this unknown illness. He had difficulty walking. He had balance problems, blurred vision, low-grade fevers, rapid heart rate, burning sensations in his arms and legs, severe joint pain, nausea, digestive disturbances, brain fog, muscle spasms, numbness, tingling, skin hypersensitivity, motor-like tapping sensations in his hands and his feet, and just this never-ending fatigue that uh, would not would not go away. And so this sense got on his journey, and he has consulted with the best of the best and sort of the lime mold. Um, field, and he's developed this 11-step process that he is going to kind of walk us through today. But first, we're going to start a little bit about his journey. So Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for giving us some time today. And please tell us about your personal health journey with chronic Lyme disease and, and mold. You bet. Thank you so much for having me. So my journey started here in Northern California in 1996. Um, I did have a tick bite. I didn't get sick right away. Didn't have an EM rash. Didn't really think anything of it. But then several months later, April of 1997, over the course of a weekend, um, just seemed like this flu times a hundred. I'm in this this significant viral type condition. I didn't really um, have anything that I had had in the past. It kind of felt the same. It felt like something much more significant. And, you know, many of those things then that you talked about came on very, very quickly, having difficulty just getting up and walking across a room or balance issues where sitting up in a chair, I always felt like I was leaning to one side or even laying in bed, I'd put pillows on one side so that I just didn't feel like I was going to roll onto the floor. The neurological pain was probably the most significant symptom, this head to toe sunburn type sensation Mm -hmm. that that lasted for a long, long time. Um, So that was one of the things that it just like this, this is not just a flu. And as this went on for weeks and months and years, obviously, um, I was at the time, you know, trying to explore many different options. There was no Google back then. Um, I did get diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. And the best I could find online at the time was that chronic fatigue syndrome for most people tended to self-resolve in about 10 years. And I thought that does not sound very hopeful. And it's not my personality to wait and see if this is true. So I went uh, from 1997 to 2000 five to about 45 different doctors, including um, neurologists, infectious disease doctors. I mean, everybody that I could possibly think of. Fortunately, at the time I had a PPO and didn't need a referral. And I just kept, you know, going from one to the next to the next. And in 2005, 
I was working with a new medical doctor, kind of reset, start over, let's see what we can get. And he actually referred me to an acupuncturist who worked at an outlet mall next to a coffee shop. She was doing <laughs> electrodermal screening or electroacupuncture, according to Vol. Um, many people will have heard similar kinds of tools now, things like the Zyto or the Asira or the Quest 4, for example. And so his instruction was go to this lady and find out what foods you should avoid. That's probably the only thing that makes any sense in terms of all of these things you have going on. And so fortunately, after sitting with her for a couple hours, she said, I think you need to get your doctor to test you for Borrelia, Bartonella, Babesia, and Ehrlichia. I didn't know what any of those things were at the time. I was really slow and then getting back to the doctor to get this figured out. She contacted me again and said, you know, this is really urgent. You need to get on it. Fortunately, we were able to confirm, and I will say we had to do a couple of those tests multiple times, but we were able to eventually confirm all of those. And so that kind of first introduction into energy medicine was what got me then very quickly. Uh, at that point, we were July 2005 when I finally did get formally diagnosed with Lyme and co-infections. January 2006 is when I was sitting in the front row at my first Klinghart conference and just loving that energy and his approach. And, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today really came from Dr. Klinghart being one of my primary mentors, mm -hmm. but, but opened my mind to thinking outside the box. What are some of the tools that can be helpful? Uh, at that time, I was a software uh, employee here in the Silicon Valley in Northern California. And so none of this yet really made a lot of sense to me. But fortunately, um, I met the lady who was able to give me some insights into Lyme. We'll talk more, but eventually mold came into the picture as well. And I would say, Fortunately for me, while it has been a very long journey, I'm doing really well. I exercise every day. I work more than I probably should be working. I probably should do a little more relaxing, but I'm super, super blessed. There isn't anything today that I can't do. I will say that I still take very good care of myself. So, you know, my diet, my stress levels, all of those things, I do well when I'm taking good care of myself. And honestly, I think sometimes that is the message of these conditions and these kinds of chronic illnesses is maybe we weren't prioritizing ourselves, and we do need to make some changes longer term to maintain our regained state of health. And so I do a lot to, to continue to feel well, but from where I've been to where I am now, I feel incredibly blessed. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I want to just tease out a couple of things and then we'll move on to the next question. But uh, the practitioner that was the acupuncture that was doing the, the, the vol. I had a, a dentist do that on me years ago when I had some of my, my dental surgeries done. Was she testing specifically that she like, was her testing leading to, or the evaluation leading to the, Hey, like you should check out Lyme and Borrelia and yeah, so she was testing um, one specific point, but then also using, I think at the time it was a device called the IQS, the Interactive Query System, where from the computer then you could move to different types of frequencies, you know, parasites or Borrelia or Bartonella or whatever, and then get a sense for whether or not that was stressing the system or not. So yes. it's not a tool that she then would say, oh, you know, I'm diagnosing you with this. Then we right. went on, did the more conventional or, you know, integrative tests and blood tests and all those things to get to a diagnosis. But it was the first time that anybody said, you know what, I really Check think, this out. <laughs> yeah, I really think this is the thing. And thank goodness, because she was actually right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. So moving on to sort of your, 
you know, you're, you're after your 15 years died, since your 15 years of diagnosis with Lyme and then shortly after their mold, mold illness, has there been a model for recovering health? Because, you know, this, this whole industry of functional health and Lyme and mold is very fractured, right? So half the battle for people like us is just trying to figure out the models. Have you, do you feel like there is one? Yeah. So, you know, fortunately, I would say I've been really lucky to get connected to some amazing mentors. So I mentioned Dr. Klinghardt, uh, Dr. Neil Nathan is another one that's very, very much at the top of my list. Dr. Simon Yu, Dr. Raj Patel. Um, sometimes I pinch myself wondering, like, how am I getting connected to these people? And I feel like, you know, the universe has really opened up some doors in that realm. And I will go through kind of what currently is how I think about this. It's not a protocol. It doesn't mean it's going to be the same for everyone. The steps are going to change. Some may or may not apply, but I think it encompasses a lot of the things we need to think about and hopefully a general order. And, and there are some, I think, important messages in the way that I put the order together. Probably one of the primary ones being, you know, why are the microbial pieces of this at the very end of the conversation at the end of this whole 11 steps? And, and I think there's a lot lot of rationale that we'll talk about. But I would say the first step is always, for me, focusing on detoxification and drainage. I think that's the most important thing that we can do to recover from these chronic conditions. So how are we going to improve the terrain? Second step is looking at the external environment. Do I have mold exposures? Do I have that whole toxic soup that leads to chronic inflammatory response syndrome? Do I have high levels of EMFs that I need to reduce so that I can detoxify more effectively? Um, step three is optimizing sleep, so critical for everything else in the healing process. Step four is the mental and emotional considerations, traumas, conflicts, those types of things. I think they commonly do play a role. Absolutely. It's not necessarily universal, but I would say it's probably almost universal. Um, step five is looking at the limbic system, the parasympathetic nervous system. Step six is how do we modulate the immune and inflammatory response? So do we stabilize the mast cells? We work on ways to create more tolerance within our microbiome. Step seven is things like hydration, nutrition, looking at the microbiome, looking at the gut. Step eight includes a few things that, that maybe don't exactly fit together, but I, I didn't think they needed to be completely separated out. And so this is getting into things like mitochondrial support, adrenal support, looking at your immune system from a perspective of having enough zinc and B vitamins. So we're talking here about something called cryptopyroluria or KPU that Dr. Klinghart has written about, uh, and then optimizing, uh, blood viscosity or hypercoagulation. I think that's a, probably one of the most overlooked things in the realm of Lyme and mold related issues is this coagulation piece. Step nine then is looking at the microbial overgrowth. So viruses, parasites getting into the gut, SIBO, um, fungal, yeast, mold, colonization, Lyme, co-infections, biofilms, all of that. But you see, it comes pretty late in this process. I think a lot mm -hmm. of people, myself included early on, I thought, okay, I just need to kill, kill all these critters, maybe do a little detox. And, you know, that emotional stuff certainly doesn't play a role at all. And now I think the emotional, the mental emotional piece is actually first, the detox piece then, and then the microbial piece really can come later. What I've also observed is 
the more we can do some of these foundational things, the less aggressive we often need to be with the, the size of the hammer, so to speak, when we talk about some of these antimicrobial interventions. Step 10 is the dental contributors. So cavitations, amalgams, root canals, those types of things. And then finally, the last step, regeneration, restoration, how do we rebuild as much as possible? Many people at this point, you know, have been dealing with this. Sometimes they haven't even been diagnosed for 30 years. And so there obviously is some damage um, or, you know, some battle scars that we need to kind of go back then and try to fix as well. Yeah, that's a great, great outline. And I, I know my impulse early on would be to go right to step number, I think nine, go after, you know, go, go, go after the bugs. Me, do a little me too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's, and that's a common mistake, right? Is people think they just need to get rid of the bugs. And I've run into people I've had, you know, clients and you know, they've worked with the doctor and they've gotten rid of the bugs, but they still don't feel good, you know? And so all these steps are super important. So let's, let's start with detoxification and drainage. What's the difference between this two um, why are these, this step so critical and what makes it number one in your mind? Yeah, I think many people that I've spoken with, when we talk about these chronic conditions, if you ask them what's changed, that's leading to such an exponential increase in the number of people that are dealing with, you know, any kind of neurological condition, whether it's autism or chronic Lyme or MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, the exposure to environmental toxicants, I think is probably what the majority of people in this realm, in the functional integrative medicine realm would say. I think many people have Lyme and co-infections and don't have any symptoms at all. So that toxic burden being combined with the microbes and all of the other things we're going to talk about, I think is what really leads to symptom presentation. So from my perspective, improving the terrain is the road back to health. If we also think about some of the microbes that the body may allow as a protective mechanism. So if we have high levels of heavy metals, for example, we're more likely to have candida, we're more likely to have parasites where the body is intelligently utilizing these microbes as a protective mechanism that they can actually hold on to or bind some of these environmental toxicants that would otherwise be more damaging. So the detoxification piece, that's just an example of how I think of detoxification as an indirect antimicrobial strategy as well. So if we can improve the terrain, then we don't have an environment where these bugs maybe need to be or want to be. So the first step is always going to be improving the or reducing the toxic burden that's coming into the body. So looking at what are we cleaning our house with? What are we putting on our body? Personal care products, laundry products, all of those things, making sure that the air is pure, the food is pure, the water is pure, anything we can reduce from coming into the system, we don't have to detoxify. And so that's probably one of the things maybe, you know, years ago, I didn't put as much focus on, but, you know, when you really look at all of the chemicals and things we come into contact with every day, it, it, it's pretty amazing. So Detoxification for me is really about binders. How do we minimize enterohepatic recirculation of toxins? So after toxins are concentrated in the bile and the liver, moved into the gallbladder, dumped into the small intestine, eventually into the colon, how do we get as much of that out of the system through the stool rather than reabsorbing it? Bile is highly recycled. 
and thus the toxins are as well. So we want to use binders to um, increase the excretion of these toxins as much as possible. And then drainage for me is more, how do we support the body's inherent ability to detoxify? So liver, kidneys, lymphatics, extracellular matrix, colon, skin, lungs, all of those things. And so, um, you know, one of the early first steps is making sure that people are not constipated. That does not go with detox or with healing. So that's something to explore. I would say we also want to think about the gallbladder, the bile flow, um, uh, Kelly Halderman, Dr. Kelly Halderman talks a lot about this in what she calls phase 2.5 detoxification, where mm. if you have toxins that are in the liver that are getting concentrated into the bile, but they can't move through the system, they eventually kind of get dumped back into the bloodstream, what feels like a Herxheimer reaction. But the reality is that it's just a, a dump of toxins that weren't successfully moving from phase one, phase two to phase 2.5 and eventually phase three. Um, Dr. Chris Shade talks about that as well. In the binder realm, there's lots of tools out there. So I have for many years been a big fan of Takasumi Supreme from Supreme Nutrition. Um, I still think it's a great tool. More recently, I probably tend to use more of the bioactive carbons from microbe formulas. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I really like them is because you can take them with supplements with or without food. I wouldn't take them with medications, but probably for an opposite reason that most people would think of. A lot of times with binders, you're concerned about if I took a binder with my thyroid medication, maybe I'm not gonna get as much of the thyroid medication. With their carbons, you may actually end up getting more than what you want. So um, they're just a lot easier. I still personally use those. It's easier for me to just put them in my pillbox and not have to do the two hours away from this and that kind of thing. But there's a lot of great tools out there. So uh, beyond that, Balance has one I like called Toxies Bind, BioPure, which takes a lot of their direction from Dr. Klinghart. Um, they have some fantastic tools, Zeo Bind. So things like zeolites or bentonite clays or chlorella, those can also be very helpful. And then when we're talking about drainage, you can do this with herbs, but I really think where I've seen the most uh, excitement is in the homeopathic realm. So talking about the German homotoxicology, looking at things like the Pecana remedies or energetics or Desbio. There's lots of companies that work in that realm and these, these kind of complex, they're not single homeopathics, they're formulas essentially of different homeopathics um, can be really fantastic for supporting the liver, kidneys, lymph, and extracellular matrix. There are some herbal products like obviously milk thistle or dandelion can be great for the liver or solidago for the kidneys or red root for the lymphatic system. Uh, BioRay has some great products, liver life, liver lover, um, really like the tools that they offer as well. And then I would say we also want to think about trace minerals in this realm. So part of the reason that we maybe become bioaccumulators of toxins is mineral deficiency. So we're not getting enough of these kinds of minerals now in our diet, the this, this sad diet that we all seem to have in this country at this point. So I think Broad spectrum trace minerals can be really helpful to flood the system so that it doesn't then need to hold on to a heavy metal to complete some type of reaction. Um, can also use things here like silica for dealing with aluminum toxicity, which is another piece that Dr. Klinghart talks about a lot is the impact of aluminum, particularly as a growth medium for Lyme disease. 
And then there's a number of other adjunct things we can do here. So movement, I would say, is critical. And even if that movement is just getting up and walking, that is supporting the lymphatic system. That's supporting fluid flows. We don't have to be doing aggressive exercise, but we do need to do whatever we can within our ability. I'm not suggesting people should push beyond their ability, but we do need that at a minimum, just get in some walking. And then things like coffee enemas can be fantastic. Um, for me, one of the absolute best things that I did in my many year now journey, uh, colon hydrotherapy can be very helpful. Ionic foot baths, castor oil packs, uh, Oil pulling can be helpful as well. Liver gallbladder flushes can be helpful, though I caution people not to do those on their own to make sure they're working with a skilled practitioner that really knows how to guide them because they are what I would consider to be a little bit more of an aggressive intervention that could have some challenges along the way. And then saunas, obviously, that's another very popular tool. The caveat being that I think that's something that can be great later in the process, but if someone's not sweating, um, also thinking about the idea that with a sauna, you may be sweating some things out if you're able to sweat, but you're also mobilizing toxins in the body. And if we don't have, you know, the channels of elimination or the amunctories or the drainage pathways really optimized, we don't have binders and so on, you can auto intoxicate or create some redistribution of a lot of these toxins with sauna. So that's not one that I think is generally ideal early on, but I think as people are improving and recovering, I think then sauna can be a fantastic tool as well. Yeah, that's just, there's so much there. And I think the fact that you, you highlight so many tools to help with phase one or step one of your, of your outline, it really speaks to the fact of just how toxic we've become. And I think you said it perfectly. Like, you know, I, I think about, it, I describe it to people, like we have a cup, Right. And our, and because of the modern age, the, you know, the post-industrial age where our cup is full. Right. And, and, and so, you know, and that triggers illness, right. When you're, when you've got so many toxins in you, um, heavy metals, glass fat, glyphosate, you know, all these things, right. It really creates a lot of <laughs> complexity. And so it's no wonder that people, you know, get sick easier. And I, and I think this really kind of highlights why we have such uh, so many people with like chronic illness these days. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Good analogy. Yeah. I, I say the same thing, kind of the bucket analogy. Um, either you have too much coming into the bucket or you don't have enough open drains to drain the bucket. And that overflowing of the bucket is essentially the symptom presentation. So yeah, I think we're, we're using a very similar analogy there. Yeah, for for, for sure. One question on the mineral part, have you experimented at all with like, um, Oceans Alive, the uh, marine phytoplankton at all? I have used it. It's not something that that's stuck in my program or that I have a lot of experience with, um, but I'm, I'd love to hear if you have some experience with yeah, it. Yeah, I've, I've been using it for the past several months and I've, okay. it's been part of my, every morning I go down there and I, I, I hit it um, and I've, I've definitely found it, uh, definitely found it helpful. Nice. Awesome. All right. So, so step two, right. So improving our external environment. And I think this really marries very well with the first one, right? If you've got a lot of toxins from the environment coming in, you have to kind of somehow gain control of your, of your environment. And so this can be water, air, light, uh, you'll get to EMF at some point, but why is this so important? And what are some of the things that people can do to kind of take control of their environment? So they don't have <laughs> the things coming in that they don't want. 
Yeah, so I would say that our internal environment or our body will never be healthier than our external environment. That's why so many of us today are sick. Um, the external environment is incredibly toxic, particularly for those of us that maybe have some less than optimal genetics around detoxification. Um, all of the epigenetic influencers then can express some of these genetic potentials. Um, I think we can take supplements all day long, but if our external environment is ultimately what was our kryptonite, whether that's our home, our school, our workplace, or whatever, if that's our kryptonite, we will never regain our superhero status by supplementing and doing all of these other things. So I would say mold is um, the first thing that I think about. And I, I should really clarify it because while Dr. Shoemaker wrote the book, Surviving Mold and uh, Mold Warriors, he now and, and many others are starting to understand that, you know, when, when we say mold illness, we're really talking about this soup of toxins, uh, bacteria, actinomycetes, mycoplasma, chlamydia, protozoa, all of these things that are in water damage buildings. And so, you know, mold, I think, has become a focus because it's maybe more readily testable and it's a surrogate way of exploring the possibility of this chronic inflammatory response syndrome or sick building, but it's, it really goes far beyond just mold. So I'm going to use the term mold, but knowing that it, that it really is something much broader. And so when we talk about mold, um, you know, we can do some self-testing of the environment. So there we're looking at things like the ERMI, the environmental relative moldiness index, um, that can be done from mycometrics or envirobiomics. Dr. Neil Nathan likes to also do the mold plates from immunolytics. So it's a couple different things. I don't think immunolytics replaces the ERMI, but it's an additional tool. Now, if you do the ERMI through envirobiomics, they actually have the ability to test for actinomycetes, which is this bacteria that Dr. Shoemaker more recently is suggesting is 49% of the contributor to chronic inflammatory response syndrome where oh, mold and mycotoxins now my understanding is is less than 10%. So they're the only ones that I know in the ERMI that currently look for that. So that could be another nice add-on you can do with them. I do like urine mycotoxin testing, and some of that is the influence of Dr. Neil Nathan and my understanding of these real-time labs, I think can be tremendously helpful. Great Plains, Vibrant, there's a number of different people that do these. Are they perfect? No. Can food have some impact on them? Yes, but not a lot. Can they be helpful over time for tracking you know, improvement? Can they be helpful as a, well, I'm doing all these things, but it's still not going down, so maybe I still have an exposure, maybe I'm colonized. Yes. Um, so I know there is a lot of debate about them. I do think they can be helpful. And then once we identify that there is an issue, we either remediate or move. If 50 to 70% of buildings in this country have a high enough level of mold and all of these other things, sometimes moving, I see people go from one environment to the next and they just you know, find mold in every one of them. And so I think that's where you work with your IEP, indoor environmental professional, and you get a sense for how serious is the problem. If the problem can be remediated, oftentimes people do very well with that. Uh, air filtration, 
can be helpful. I certainly have uh, several air filters in, you know, probably six or eight of them, plus whole house air filtration um, in my home office area. Um, Has that helped, Scott? I think air filtration is, is a good tool, but it's not a way to avoid fixing the problem. So what I would say is if you have, you know, a, a leak that is now creating mold in a wall and you think of that as the hole in the bottom of the sinking boat, air filtration is then kind of bailing the water out of the boat with paper towels. I mean, it's, it, it, it's maybe gonna help and, and I'm probably exaggerating a little, it may help more than that, but air filters alone are not gonna be enough to yeah. solve the problem for someone with these types of conditions. So you solve the problem, you do the air filters, you need to remove the tumor, so to speak, before you come in with the chemotherapy is kind of how I think of it. I don't mm -hmm. think there is a, you know, avoiding physically removing the source of the problem, that elimination really is critical. And then we can think about how do we then support the body? So the environment externally has now been improved. We can use some more targeted types of binders for mold and mycotoxins like microbe formulas has one called Biotox. Uh, Beyond Balance has Toxies Bind and ProMyco. The Takasumi Supreme can be great. The Cholestyramine can be helpful if people tolerate it. The WellCall can be helpful if people tolerate it. So those last two, Cholestyramine and WellCall, are pharmaceutical options. I find the natural tools can work really well, but there are some people that, you know, particularly with cholestyramine um, can be magical. And so sometimes doing a little bit of both, so you don't have to do quite as much cholestyramine. I think that combination can be nice. And then later when we talk about the microbial aspect of this, there is the possibility that someone has been inhaling mold for a long period of time and thus becomes colonized. And so then to really address the problem, you have your own internal mycotoxin production factory. So to address the problem long-term, you may also need to deal with some antifungals. And we'll come back to that when we get to step nine. So the mold piece I think is really significant. The EMF piece uh, is probably they're, they're actually connected in that Dr. Klinghart has suggested that in high EMF environments, molds become more aggressive. They produce more mycotoxins. And so if you asked him, how do you solve your mold problem? He's going to say to turn off your Wi-Fi is the first step. Um, EMF exposure also keeps our cells in a threatened state. And so we also will not detoxify efficiently when we have high levels of EMFs. This uh, 2006, I believe, is when I first heard Dr. Klinghart talking about EMFs. And at the time, most people were laughing at him. I don't think anybody's laughing anymore. I think people now, at least people in our community, understand this is a very real thing. So, you know, turning off your Wi-Fi and getting rid of cordless phones and being uh, having good cell phone hygiene, sleeping in a Faraday cage or using, um, you know, certain EMF blocking paints, things like that, turning off the circuit breaker at night, all of those can be really helpful for supporting our forward progress and, and getting back to better health. And so I think the, the mold, the EMS, those are really kind of the two main areas to start with. Interestingly, EMF sensitivity can also be, or electromagnetic hypersensitivity, EHS, can also be correlated to the levels of heavy metals in the body. 
So that's one of the reasons I also put the detox piece first. I've seen people that had tremendous burning sensations on their skin after smart meters were installed in their neighborhoods, for example. And the way that they resolved it was doing more aggressive, not that I'm suggesting aggressive metal detox because that comes with problems too. But at the time they did do more aggressive heavy metal detoxification, and then they were better able to tolerate being in those environments. So, um, and then there's a genetic aspect to the, I mean, to all of this really to mold and to uh, EMFs. So there are certain, I know Bob Miller and some of his work looks at certain genes that maybe make us more likely to develop electromagnetic hypersensitivity, but mold EMFs, I think those are the two biggest things that most people with these conditions need to try and uh, improve as much as possible. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, the EMF one is is such a, a hot topic and it's a difficult one because you can't feel it, right? You don't see it. You know, Brian, uh, Brian Hoyer, one of his guys uh, came to my place in 2019 and, and, and did an assessment here. And I, I live in a semi-urban environment, right? And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, my room had 8,000 millivolts uh, of... <laughs> Yeah. Of, of, uh, of, from a salsa, what do I do? Like, you know, so, uh, you know, so it's, it's really quite challenging. And I think I'm going to link to your podcast with Brian and, and, uh, Nick P. Yeah. yeah. Nick Pino. Yeah. Pino. Did you, is there any like top things people can do, uh, to, I mean, do you really have to go down the, the path of $6,000 worth of special paint and, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have not uh, personally done the paint. Um, I think, you know, just depending on what you're going to do, if you're, you know, renting, leasing, those types of things, I mean, the paint is not something that can be easily removed. So you have to think about, you know, what that means for, for leaving an environment. Um, I minimize as much as possible. I mean, Wi-Fi is off. Uh, don't have any cordless phones. I do sleep in a silver lined sleep sanctuary. Um, I do most of the time or commonly turn the circuit breakers off at night. Um, So yeah, I think you do have to take as many steps here to try to mitigate the EMFs as is, is reasonable for you. I don't think everybody needs to go to the graphite paint. I mean, that's a nice solution if you can do it, but there, there's lots of things. I mean, e- even just turning off your Wi-Fi is a really good step forward. And if you need Wi-Fi for some reason, occasionally during the day, most of them now can, you know, mine actually has a timer. And um, when I'm in my office, it's off and a couple hours in the night for different devices that maybe do connect, um, it, it'll come on and then it goes off again when I'm sleeping. So, you know, minimizing those exposures, being wired as much as possible. So I think there are some EMF yeah. hygiene things we can do without spending a lot of money. Yeah. And then just one quick follow-on question. Is there one or two tips you can give on finding a mold specialist? This is, can be such a slippery slope. So <laughs> yeah. what, what have you observed? Well, I uh, am a member of the International Society for Environmentally Acquired Illness, or ISEAI.org is their website. And they actually do have a, a get help option there where they list practitioners that also include IEPs in different areas. So you can do it by zip code or look on the map or whatever. And I think that's a great resource because those people have been vetted 
by Mike Schrantz and by the, the oh. ICI organization. Um, so they're, they're going to be people who understand, you know, what does shoemaker mean? What is uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome? What is the, the level of improvement that's required for health versus somebody just coming in doing an air test and saying, oh my gosh, no, or they're really working more for the landlord than for the person that's, that's dwelling there. So yeah, most of the time I would say the ICI.org website is probably the place that I tend to refer people to, to try and find an IEP in their area. There are people, uh, Brian Carr, Corey Levy with yeswinspect.com that have uh, a, a network of people throughout the country that they can connect you with. Mike Schrantz in Tucson area, also phenomenal. So phenomenal. I, I, I think now with ICI, there's a kind of coming together of people. And I, I don't think there's going to be too much difficulty finding a good inspector if people reach out to the ICI website. Very helpful. Thanks. I'll, I'll, I'll link yeah. that in the show notes. Sure. Sleep, one of my favorite topics. I've certainly had my battles on and off with this. Um, let's talk about a little bit how you would suggest people optimize sleep. What are the things you found has, has worked for you and many of the clients you work with? Yeah, so I did get a 90 on my aura ring last night, so that's super good. <laughs> that's a that the crown shows up, right? I I I, I, I was you know it's, it's uh we'll have lots of notes compares. I have the aura ring as well. I was one of the Kickstarter backers, and uh, nice. I did an 88 today. So <laughs> nice, nice. No, it's good. I mean, it's really good. Yeah. So I mean, I think um, you know this the primary driver of sleep issues for many people insomnia is going to be emf exposure so mm. trying to improve sleep without optimizing the emf environment is probably not going to lead you to where you want to go um, that's where dr klinghart will talk about um, the circuit breakers as well because the field that comes out from the walls just from the wiring in many environments is also not insignificant so that's why the EMF piece comes before the sleep piece. And then for me personally, thank God, most of my worst times I slept really well. It was, I always look forward to sleeping because it was the only time during the day I could escape the hell of what my life had become at the time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until a few years ago, probably two, three years ago that I started having some sleep problems. And of course, explored all the, you know, GABA and 5-HTP and all of those things. I have historically been someone that does super, super well with melatonin. Um, I still do melatonin. I do higher dose than what most people probably would consider uh, reasonable, but I don't do as high a dose as some people now, now suggest. So I do 20 milligrams of melatonin at night. Um, some people suggest you know, 50 or a hundred or 200. Um, obviously that should be coordinated with someone's practitioner, but I just did a, a recent podcast with Dr. John Lawrence and he talks about, um, using suppositories and liposomals and other things in the melatonin realm. Also looking at things like, is your blood sugar dipping at night such that you then are creating cortisol to try and normalize your blood sugar. And thus then you're not able to sleep because now you've got all this cortisol, um, looking at the oxygen saturation as well to see, are you, you know, are you waking up because you're not getting, you maybe have a sleep apnea, something like that. You're not getting enough oxygen. Weighted blankets can be helpful for some. Uh, probably a year or two ago, I started doing inclined bed therapy. So the head of the bed being three to six inches higher than the foot of the bed. I, I don't know 
if it, it is helpful for sleep. I don't know that I would say it's been super great for my sleep, but there's other things that it also is supporting like, you know, drainage, drainage and the whole glymphatic system and all of that. So it takes a little bit of time to get used to because there is a little more pressure on your low back when you first start out. But I, I do think that's something to explore the incline bed therapy. There are tools like brain tap, the headset with the lights, Dr. Patrick Porter mm -hmm. frequency, yeah. all of that can be great. There's a company in the UK that makes something called the Z sleep pebble that you put on to your bed that puts out frequencies that then are getting the brain to be in, in a deeper sleep state. The Apollo neuroband is another tool uh, that some people like. And then I do think the aura ring for me, I know it's not a perfect tool, but it has been helpful to observe patterns. And if I see, you know, I've done something new and the next three or four nights, like there's a, a big shift or, you know, I tried something too aggressive and all of a sudden for a few nights, my sleep went really in the toilet. I mean, it, it has helped me navigate some of these things. Um, so, you know, those are some of the primary tools. I think any improvement we get in this area is just going to really accelerate and, potentiate our healing potential. So we do, if we are having sleep issues, I think it is something that we want to explore early on. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you when I've had a bad night of sleep or two bad nights of sleep in a row, <laughs> life is just, you know, it, it, it's awful. And you start to feel like you're, you're, you're falling apart. Well, a couple of clarifying questions. So in reducing your EMF exposure, did your heart rate variability via your O ring improve? I reduced my EMF exposure starting in 2006 when I met Dr. Klinghart and yeah. thus at the time did not have an aura ring to track my yeah. HRV. And, and even though Dr. Klinghart was at the time looking at HRV, it wasn't, uh, you know, for Mainstream. more day-to-day -day kinds of things. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I didn't have that insight. Mm -hmm. Well, like yourself, I've tried 5-HTP, you know, melatonin, um, phosphodiesterine, mm -hmm. uh, ashwagandha, Sleep remedy by Doctor Doc uh, Doc Parsley, um, all, all all kinds of things. Melatonin, I think I've already mentioned it, and I think what I have found super helpful for me um, is to be a couple things. One that stood stood out that's most recent that you kind of tipped me off to via your podcast was Tributernex, right mm -hmm. from uh, healthygut.com. Healthy gut. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and just that gut brain connection that's taken my sleep to the next level. Now I had already nice. made yeah. I've already made a lot of improvements and what I have found helpful is I take um, Doc Parsley's sleep remedy. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a former Navy SEAL doctor. Um, I've taken that for you. I think I'm probably his number one customer. <laughs> so I've used that on and off for a long time. I do take um, MagTech by Natural Stacks. Um, that's got the um, MagTeam in it, the L -mag magnesium l 3 Yeah. Um, I've explored L-theanine that, you know, um, that seems to help a, a little bit. Um, the other thing that I have found helpful and not consistently, but I don't know if you're familiar with Newcom, which is kind of like BrainTab, but I use Newcom every single day without fail. Now, I don't use it for sleep onset. I use it typically in the morning when I first come to to kind of start my day. My aura ring sees it as sleep and I'll do it for about 70 minutes. Um, I use it for napping, you know, I'll take a nap in the afternoon, just kind of hit it, hit a reset. Uh, but they're coming out with a sleep track that I'm very excited about. I've, I've had the beta version for quite some time. And I think that could be something, uh, nice. yeah, to, yeah, I'd like to learn more about that. I saw yeah. that on your uh, website. 
Yeah. And then, yeah, I'll definitely consider you on that. And Jim Poole's become a friend and he's a really great guy. Um, the CEO of, of, of Newcom. So yeah, I, I look back and my ability to handle stress has greatly increased. I've been on Newcom. It'll be two years this November. Um, nice. two, two times every day without fail. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd love to, love to learn more about that. And interestingly, ashwagandha is one that I have seen some people see very noticeable differences in their aura ring, particularly around deep sleep. So I think for mm. some people, ashwagandha um, can be a nice sleep tool that maybe isn't talked about a lot. Um, but, but I, I have seen measurable differences in some people with the aura ring with ashwagandha as well. Is there a particular form of ashwagandha? Is it KSM 66? I'd have to look. I, I think it's just, uh, no, I, I don't think it's anything super fancy, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's uh, good to note. The other thing that I would just note on sleep, because I know this can be an issue, you know, and I had issues where I was waking up in the middle of the night and then I would get that cortisol. It feel, felt like a cortisol spike. So I was probably having blood sugar. Um, but I've used a number of sound therapies to get me back to sleep. And so I don't know if you're familiar with Eric Thompson and subtle that energy is his, is his, you you know him, Eric? Yeah. I have a couple of his mandalas or mandalas on uh, that that I've played with a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So his golden proportion has saved my life (laughs) many, many, many times. I would say it works about 80% uh, to get me, to get me back to sleep when I've, you know, for whatever reason I've had a, had a woken up too early. Cool. I love it. I'm learning from you. Good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm always open to some new tricks <laughs> here. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, keeping moving. So step number four, and this is dear, near and dear to my heart, right? Because when you get complex illness, you just, the stress, the frustration that you go through, but you know, mental and emotional health can, can be a trigger for the illness. I, I think Dr. Jerry Tennant or, argues that, you know, one of the top fives that he, he sees as people is there's an emotional you know, blockage or connection or issue, the body keeps the score. Uh, so what, what has been your, like people will say it's the problems all in your head, but it's not. So just talk to us about mental health, mental, emotional health, why it's so important. And I think that most of us have had emotional traumas and conflicts or adverse childhood events, all of these things that can set the stage for the later development of these conditions that over time we've impacted our adrenals and our immune system and all of these. Um, So I I think that's one possibility that those things came first, the illness comes later. I also think that we can have an illness like chronic Lyme or any related type condition where the experience of working with the medical community is so invalidating that we create a PTSD essentially because we've really been invalidated going through this process. And so whether the emotional trauma came first or was the result of the illness and, and the medical community, uh, I think we still have to do something about it. So we've all got emotional issues that we need to work through. I think accepting that doesn't mean that the illness is in our mind. Um, uh, it, it, it certainly the mental emotional piece does play a role in the development of physical illness, but it's not so much to say that, that the illness is all in our head. Um, there is definitely a connection there. I would say most people in the Lyme community, uh, that I've interacted with 
tend to be, or the pattern tends to be very type A plus people, overachiever, perfectionists. Um, you, you strike me as an overachiever perfectionist as well. <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of times, and this was true for me too, not always feeling deeply like there is a deserving of wellness. Mm. And early on, when I first started learning how to muscle test, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, I, I would always do, you know, I'm willing to be well. Yes. I'm able to be well. Yes. I deserve to be well. And I was even muscle testing myself. So you'd think I could have gotten a free pass on that one, but every time deserve to be well was a big no. Um, and so that took a lot of work. And so I pride myself now on at least saying I'm a type A minus personality um, that I've learned to, you know, create some balance. I think, you know, creating or cultivating as many healthy relationships as possible, eliminating the toxic ones, knowing that it's okay to have boundaries, um, experiencing joy, which in our current world is, is definitely a challenge um, and doing everything we can to not identify with the illness. So I never uh, felt comfortable taking on the term Lyme. I felt like Lyme disease was a part of me, but it was not who I am. And so another thing that I really like in this realm is Dr. Klinghart's five levels of healing model, where the physical level is really kind of the bottom of the pyramid. And then you have the energetic, um, the mental, emotional, the intuitive and the spirit body. And so work that we do on the mental, emotional realm really is third level work. And anything that you do on a higher level has a downward effect as well. So we're not going to get well just by, you know, taking supplements all day. And so no. working on these higher levels can be amazing. Finding the right tool um, is tricky. I think fortunately, you know, with the biohacking community and whatnot, we're, we're, we're getting more and more tools, but things like EMDR, I think can be a fantastic tool in this realm. Dr. Klinghart created applied psychoneurobiology and psychokinesiology that can both be great. Many tapping systems like EFT, emotion code is another tool that can be very helpful. And so a nice starting place for people here is a good friend of mine, Amy Scher, who had chronic Lyme disease, was very sick, went many years ago to India, did stem cells, got a lot better. Some things got worse. She really dug into it and figured out that a lot of that was more mental, emotional. So she started then working in the realm of, of energy therapy and ways to clear many of the cellular imprints or cellular memory of different emotional traumas and conflicts and emotions and things of that nature. And so she has a, a beautiful book that she created called How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can that gives people very actionable things they can start to do in this realm. And so I think that's a good place for people to start. But but this, this is a really, really important area. It is different from the limbic system that we'll talk about next, uh, but, but both of them are critical. Yeah, that's really great. I have personally found um, EMDR super helpful. Um, and I would also say, uh, I mentioned this sort of way we were doing some housekeeping prior to the um, the recording, but um, Battlefield Tuning with Eileen McCusick's group, um, I, I, I really started to make an, a strong <laughs> upward trend after starting the Battlefield Tuning because it's really just looking for incoherence in the body, you know, um, and uh, helping you sort of surface it and witness it and just clear it. Um, so those are, yeah, 
Yeah, so those have been nice. some of the, the tech techniques that I've done. And then I would go back to the Nucom. Nucom isn't going to resolve all your emotional trauma, but it really increases your capacity for what you can you can handle. So that's also been a really good tool on that front as well for me. Cool. Um, let's see. Okay. So limbic system. I, you know, Lenise Lawson, uh, Dr. Lenise Lawson, whom we both know, had suggested this to me, I think back in 2018. And I went out and, and uh, got uh, Annie Hopper's system. And I'm, I'm, I'm working on being consistent with it, Scott. <laughs> uh, but let's, let's talk about the limbic system. Like, what is it? Why is tonifying the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system important? And why does it get scrambled in the first place? So I think this is a step that could move earlier in the process for some people. Um, it doesn't have to be exactly where it is, but um, it is really critical. And so the limbic system is the area of the brain that includes the hypothalamus, the hippocampus, the amygdala that people will have heard of, which is really kind of the fear center. It's what people call the feeling and reacting brain, the, the sensory uh, alarm center or anxiety switch, so to speak. And so it's constantly looking at our external environment. Is it safe? Is it not safe? And then the limbic system drives a lot of the functioning of the immune system and the endocrine system and the autonomic nervous system, which also then drives blood pressure and heart rate and breathing and digestion and all of those things. So lots of different triggers can lead to limbic system impairment. It can be mental, emotional. It can be a physical, mental, or emotional trauma. It does not have to be mental or emotional. So you can have the trigger or catalyst for your limbic system impairment could be exposure to water damaged buildings. It could be a chemical or a pesticide or a bacteria or a virus or some other microbial overgrowth. So there's lots of things that can trigger this hypervigilant state, essentially. I like to say that initially, maybe mold in your environment was your tiger, maybe your alarm center correctly responded with, you know, kind of pulling down the, the hurricane shutters, there's something serious here, there's a tiger. Um, and now that the issue has been addressed, and it's essentially more like the kitten walking outside the window, your limbic system sees the kitten and reacts like it's a tiger. And so there are many systems like DNRS, which I love, the Gupta program, which is also very good, that can help to recalibrate or reboot the limbic system so that the, the actual threat and the perceived threat are more aligned, that you're not perceiving a threat to be significant when it's actually not significant. And so there's also a timing here as well. Uh, Dr. Neil Nathan will say that many of his patients, he likes to start doing some DNRS early on because they can't tolerate, you know, a capsule or even a pinch of quercetin. They can't tolerate a half a capsule of charcoal or one tablet of chlorella. So sometimes doing something like DNRS can improve your tolerance to things so that you then can treat with other tools. But the, the right time to use DNRS is after you've addressed the primary issue. You don't necessarily uh, want to make DNRS your primary tool while you're living in your moldy environment. And many people, sadly, I think there's a misperception that Annie Hopper would say, oh, you don't need to worry about the mold in your environment. You just need to stop, stop, stop. My brain's stuck in a rut, you know, do, do the DNRS kind of thing. Um, 
that is not what she says. And, I, and, and sadly, that is, I think, a misperception in the community. Um, she will very clearly say that DNRS is built on a platform of environmental awareness and that you do still want to improve the environment around you. So I think the limbic system work, limbic system retraining, I think that's probably been the single most helpful tool that I've seen for many people, people that were down to you know, five foods and, you know, bedridden um, that, you know, a few months into DNRS were eating uh, without any obvious restrictions, were traveling on vacation out of the country with their family, um, particularly when people have more obvious multiple chemical sensitivities, fragrance issues, you know, can't go down the detergent aisle at the store, those types of things. I think oftentimes those people, uh, food restrictions, I think those people often see progress faster with these tools, but it doesn't mean that there's not still good things happening. So you kind of kind of need to stick with it. It does take some time. Um, DNRS, as, as you alluded to, it's, you know, an hour a day. Uh, the Gupta program uh, may be a little bit less than that, but there is still a commitment here. And then those are the DNRS and the Gupta program are what I would call actually what one of my um, uh, good friends and colleagues calls uh, driver's seat limbic system work. And then for people who are, for whatever reason, not at the point that they can make that commitment, there's things that we can do that are more passenger seat limbic system work. And so for me, that would be things like brain tap uh, from Dr. Patrick Porter or frequency specific microcurrent that we can really use to help work on the limbic system, support the vagus nerve, support the parasympathetic nervous system response, which is what supports rest, digest, detoxify, and heal. We do not rest, digest, detoxify, or heal in a sympathetic dominant state. Even the ionic foot baths um, that we talked about earlier in step one, uh, many of those, or at least the one that the ion cleanse, I know part of, part of their um, approach to supporting detoxification is to use frequencies that support the parasympathetic nervous system so that you then can better detoxify. Heart math is another well-known tool that can be very helpful in this realm as well. So I think that the core message is we cannot heal when we're in this fight, flight, or freeze mode. We really need to calm the system, calm the limbic system, calm the autonomic nervous system. There's also a great course that uh, Beth O'Hara at masscell360.com has put together in this realm, not as much the um, limbic system, though she does talk about that, but it, her, her course is really what are all the tools you can use to really calm the nervous system that that then also is setting the stage for healing. Yeah, it's, it's super, super important. Um, and I think you're right to clarify that any hopper's not saying you, <laughs> you don't need to deal with, uh, your, your mole, but it is a super important tool. One clarifying question, the people that you saw get tremendous response from it. Um, have they done kind of the other basics, but we're still really struggling. And then this kind yeah. of turned to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So some of them were working with very, very good doctors and DNRS was the thing that actually made a significant difference and really moved the needle for them. So um, I, I think it should be an exploration for most people in this realm. Obviously there will be people that are more uh, impacted from a limbic system perspective, but I think, you know, if you're dealing with chronic Lyme and mold and things that have gone on for many years, that it, it probably is a, a component of many people's uh, journey for sure. Yeah. And just for the listeners. So I would describe DNRS as a mixture of words. So you're, you're speaking, you're using movement, right. And space. 
And I think gestures just kind of retrain and reorient the limbic system. Is that how you describe it, Scott? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good way to explain it. Um, I, I think uh, you know Annie never really demonstrates the process. It does take some time. Like you know the DVD series is probably fourteen hours. Once you finally get through it and kind of understand it, it's actually a fairly simple process. But it does take some time to to kind of really begin to understand exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, there's gestures and certain words and movements and incorporating lots of neuro linguistic programming and cognitive behavioral therapy. I, I think she's taken a lot from her work in that realm and put many different systems together. But I think it's tremendous. Sadly, I, I feel there is a lot of resistance to it. Um, people are not um, not really drawn to commit the hour a day that yeah. it takes. It's hard. It, it's hard. I know I did it an hour a day for seven months. And sometimes I was, you know, on an airplane or in a hotel or, you know, it, it took some creativity. Yeah. And what was your experience personally after the seven months? I actually found that um, a, a lot of things that maybe in the past would kind of get me into a cycle of rumination, that the bar really lifted quite a lot where a lot of it now became noise and I wouldn't have this kind of obsessive uh, worrying about certain things. And I actually fortunately found that the benefits that I got from it for the most part um, continue. I mean, a lot of things that would have been things I would really over-focus on in the past um, are, are not things that that create that same response having done it. And it's been a couple of years now since probably three years since I finished doing it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. All right, so step seven is about optimizing hydration, nutrition, the microbiome, gut health. So we um, skipped, we skipped step oh, six. Oh, you're right. Mass cells. Sorry. <coughs> step six. And I'm assuming so, you, do you, do you do, do some editing on this afterwards or no? Yes, I do. Okay, cool. Good. Yeah. Cause yes. I, I got the thing there in my throat and I was like, uh Oh <laughs> yeah, we'll edit that out. <laughs> no problem. Okay. So, so the next step is step six, which is really about stabilizing the mast cells, reducing inflammation and modulating the immune response. Could you just kind of define mast cell and mast cell activation and then kind of get into why this step is, is uh, so important? Yeah, so mast cells are a component of the immune system. They release, uh, now it's said probably thousands of different mediators. Many of them can be inflammatory. So histamine, for example, is a, uh, the primary one we think of in the mast cell activation and histamine conversation. And so it creates a lot of inflammation in the system. And so in kind of this whole arena, what we're talking about is it's not just the bug, but it's also the host response to the bug that makes the disease. And so if our immune system, including our mast cells, are hyperactive, hypervigilant, overactive, and they're responding in an, an autoimmune or hypervigilant type fashion, that inflammation that results can be what we actually perceive as our disease process in that that's creating a lot of the symptoms. And so for Mass cells can be triggered by many things, but the primary ones are going to be mold exposure, parasites, uh, EMFs. I would say those are probably going to be the, the three main ones that I would think about, mm -hmm. but Lyme disease, environmental toxicants, medications, food, supplements, some people even a change from cold to hot or hot to cold can also trigger mast cells. Um, emotional issues can trigger mast cells as well. 
I suspect that at some point we will come to the conclusion that EMFs play a very, very significant role here. Dr. Mm. Theo, Theo Haridas, a few years ago at a conference that I was at in Seattle, he made the statement that mast cells are 10 times more activated in the presence of a cell phone. And for me, it was one of those, whoa, backup. Did I hear that correctly? Mm. Even having understood a lot of this, I mean, that's a huge a huge piece of information. And my understanding is that, you know, obviously nobody wants that information to really uh, get out there. Um, but part of this is the diet. So if you have mast cell activation, histamine issues, oftentimes people will benefit from a low histamine diet. It's not a super easy thing to do, but a lot of times people's symptoms improve enough that they say, you know what, it's worth it. Things like kombucha, avocados, bone broth, fermented foods are all the wrong things for someone that has mast cell activation and histamine issues. So at the right time, those can be beautiful. Um, but we need to look at if there is this, this hypervigilant immune response. And if you are reactive to histamine, those may be exactly the wrong things. So while we're looking at the triggers, because you don't want to just focus on stabilizing the mast cells and taking antihistamines because you still have, you know, the parasite, the mold, the EMF, whatever that's driving this process. So ideally you're doing both. You're stabilizing the mast cells and reducing histamine so that you feel better so that you're reducing inflammation. But at the same time, you're working on the underlying triggers from a longer term perspective. And then some of the, the mast cell stabilizers and histamine reducers, things like quercetin or lutein or holy basil. Neuroprotect is a great formula that Dr. Theo Haridas created. Uh, Seeking Health has one called Probiota Histamine X that Ben Lynch created. Most probiotics actually are histamine promoters. So that's a product that has the probiotics that can help degrade histamine. Dr. Chris Shade created the HistaAid product from Quicksilver mm -hmm. that I like as well. Many people benefit from things like catodophen or chromalin, uh, DAO in some people, though I can't say that I've seen that be as exciting as, as maybe many think. And then once we address some of the mast cell piece, we also want to just look in general at, you know, reducing inflammation. So whether that's with the right healthy fats, whether that's with resolvins or um, like SPM active and some of those types of tools that can be helpful as well. Black seed oil can be helpful with reducing inflammation, but also modulating the immune system. And then if the immune system has kind of lost its ability to have tolerance to the environment, to our microbiome, and that's creating more inflammation. What are some of the things we can do from an immune modulation perspective? And I think this is a really critical area. So low dose naltrexone can be helpful for some. It's not helpful for everyone, but it can be helpful for some people. I love low dose immunotherapy, Dr. Ty Vincent's work, um, sublingual. Some people do it as an injection as well, but it's, a, you, you can think of it almost like homeopathy, but it can be superbly, um, beneficial at the right time. I had developed, even though I never had shingles, I had had chicken pox as a child. Uh, I had the herpes zoster virus was creating a post herpetic neuralgia for me in one leg that I had had for a year or two and one dose of LDI the next day it was gone. 
few years later, wow. it actually came back, got to the point that the, the pain in that leg was pretty significant. And we were able to, again, with, you know, getting back and doing the LDI, probably within a couple of days, I would say it was like 90% better. So there are some things like that, that's like, well, what other tools do you use to modulate the immune system in that realm? So I like LDI peptides, thymosin alpha one, yeah, thymosin beta four, yeah. those types of things, they're getting harder to, to get access to, but those can be great homeopathy. Uh, and then some companies make immune modulating formulas for, you know, modulating TH1, TH2 response. I did a great podcast with Dr. Frank Schallenberger that I, I really love made me think of this in a very different way, the TH1, TH2 modulation. And so it's not so much about boosting the immune system, that sometimes that can actually make things worse, particularly if we have an autoimmune process under play or already hypervigilant. It's more about modulation, calming, and really integration within our microbiome that is the goal. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. I, I would just say your podcast with uh, Dr. Schellenberger was fantastic. I listened to it. It was a really good education. He's piece amazing. On, yeah, yeah, he's amazing. He's like one of the apostles of, of functional medicine for sure. Uh, but just understanding the TH1, TH2, um, you know, kind of axis and how they play off of each other was super, super helpful. Um, what's the product that you have found most, I think, helpful for modulating the immune system? Is it that one that he referred to in the podcast, the mushroom blend or? No, I would say my, one of my favorites is the IMN Calm product from Beyond Balance. And then mm. I'm just starting to look at uh, the black seed oil, I think is another mm. good one. So okay. amaz Amazing Herbs has a black seed oil that I really like. And then there are some products with pure encapsulations that I believe were created out of the work of Dr. Sam Yannick. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think that's true. So things like TH1 support and TH2 modulator. So there are more tools that are kind of emerging. ModuCare from Thorne is another one that I really like as well. Um, so yeah, there, there's more and more of these things that I think people are starting to, to kind of think about how much this immune modulation piece is critical in these inflammatory conditions. Okay. Step seven, optimizing hydration, nutrition, microbiome, and gut health. Talk to us about that area. Why is it so important? Uh, what have you tried that's worked and not worked? <laughs> yeah, so I think hydration is, is an area that we really need to pay attention to. Most people in this realm of biotoxin illness have low antidiuretic hormone that we drink water all day long, we pee it out and we're still cellularly dehydrated. So whether you structure the water, there's lots of tools now in that realm as well. Probably one of the early ones was the natural action water system, I believe that you, you kind of run the water through it. And it has kind of like these geometric things inside that almost like water coming through a spring, um, create more structured water. There are other tools as well, like uh, Soma Vedic is one that says that they structure water using Shungite can be a great tool as well. There is a homeopathic product called Rehydration from Energetics that I like. So you just put a little bit of that in your water and it also helps to create water that is then more hydrating. Um, so, so even putting trace minerals in water or, you know, electrolytes in water or, you know, something that's going to help to make the water then more um, absorbed on a cellular level, I think is very important. And then if we look at the fact that the immune system 
is coming largely from the gut. If we have leaky gut, that's something we need to think about as well. So why do we have leaky gut? Many times it can be from mold exposure. Um, Ann Corson will say that, that mold and mycotoxins on the gut lining are much like uh, throwing sparks on a silk scarf. And so that's a uh, important piece to look at as well. So removing the triggering foods, you know, if we're doing things like gluten, which I think is going to be bad for almost anybody that has these types of conditions, um, dairy, probably bad for some sugar, certainly not a good thing. High histamine foods, probably not good for the majority. And then looking at what is the diet that is most supportive for each person. There's a lot of them out there. I have probably observed the low histamine diet being the most helpful for many people in this community. That's probably going to be completely the wrong diet for other people, you know, biohackers that want to do more ketogenic or, or whatever. Um, but low histamine seems to be very helpful for many people in this realm. And then making sure that while we're eliminating a lot of the things that might be bad, are we getting nutrient dense, high quality um, nutrition in, in the other things that we're doing? So I like a, a daily power shake that has a high quality medical protein product, um, collagen, a good fiber blend, phospholipids. So the phosphatidylcholine with the phosphatidylserine and ethanolamine and inositol and all of those things, uh, putting in some other healthy fats as well, some chia seeds or flax seeds, organic nut milk. I mean, for me, that really makes a big difference. And it's something that I've done now for many, many years. Mm. And then supporting the microbiome as well. I would say I, for the most part, was super disappointed with what I saw with most probiotics over the years. If you're mm. taking antibiotics, obviously you take probiotics as an insurance policy to not have more fungal issues and clostridia and things like that. But I never really saw anybody in this community that said, oh my gosh, when I just took that probiotic, my 20 year illness, you know, went away. And so um, I think things have shifted now in, in the realm of Kieran Christian's work with microbiome labs and megaspore biotic. I really like that product. I take it myself. I like a lot of their products, but you know, that's one that is providing the keystone strains that can then increase microbial diversity and seems to be well tolerated in people with mast cell activation and SIBO where probiotics oftentimes will cause those conditions to flare. So I think that's a, a helpful tool. And then BPC-157 can be great when we're talking about the gut for supporting okay. you know, leaky gut. Uh, I like the ION products from Dr. Zach Bush as well. It used to be called Restore. They've rebranded them a couple of times, but you know, lots of things in that realm. So we really want to just think about hydration, nutrition, dealing with leaky gut, trying to optimize the gut as much as possible so that it can do all of the other things that it does for us, like manage the immune system and create neurotransmitters and all of those key things. Yeah. Awesome. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I have definitely worked on my, my water. So at the house here, I have one of Dr. McCullough's whole house units and then Gary Greenfield, who's the father of Ben Greenfield, um, the famous biohacker. Um, I've got his water restructuring unit on the whole house. And then under our kitchen sink, um, I've got a unit called nice. the aqua, aqua. Yeah. I, I called the aqua live. Um, 
and I'm looking at upgrading the whole house water system. To... You, you, you may actually have better toys than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's quite a compliment coming from you. I, I, my wife has been very patient with me. She's like, what are you buying this week? Uh, so yeah, so that has, that it's made a tremendous difference. And we, I recently tested my water um, and I was in the 93rd percentile and I know the Mercola unit is spent. <laughs> so even with just the Greenfield unit in there, I was still doing, you know, really well. And with the aquas under the counter. Yeah. So that's been some of the things I found um, helpful on, on the hydration front. Um, and then what else is I going to share with you on this, um, on this topic? It seems to have escaped me. What else I wanted to share? Oh, maybe it'll come back to me. Um, all right, so we'll move on to um, step nine. So th this is the step everybody wants step to jump eight. to. Step eight. Sorry, eight. Sorry. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's late here, Scott. I'm, I'm fading. No worries. I just I just finished today <laughs> editing a podcast I did yesterday, and oh my gosh, it took so much editing. I was like, gosh, there's like a hundred edits in this thing. It was hurting my brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, I wanted to comment on the microbiome, right? So I have tried a thousand different, like yourself, a thousand different probiotics and thumbs up to the microbiome labs. I do like their stuff. You know, I just a shout out again to Stephen Wright over at Healthy Gut. Like, I just cannot believe how much those products have changed. My They're good. <laughs> oh, and right yeah, now I, take, I use the Tributerin X myself every day. I think it's uh, uh, much more exciting than some of the other mineral complex butyrates that were what people were using before and most people still using now. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried uh, probutyrate from uh, Tesseract. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, it helped. It absolutely helped, but this is completely next level. I saw so I'm going to say, I'll leave it. I'll put that in the show notes. So, <laughs> um, all right. So step eight. So, you know, we're, we're talking now about supporting the mitochondrial, the adrenals, coagulation, KPU. Tell, tell us a little bit more about why this step and why these are important. Yeah. So I think the mitochondrial piece is probably an area that I really have started thinking about and focusing more on over the past few years. In large part, I would say from the work of Dr. Todd Watts, I mean, he talks about this a lot. And so, you know, the adrenals, we, we know a lot about, yes, I think the adrenals oftentimes benefit from some adaptogens, holy basil, other things. Um, they certainly are an issue in people that have years of chronic illness, but the mitochondrial piece, I think is exciting. I think we're getting more tools in this realm. So we need energy to detoxify and to function and to repair and to heal. And, you know, beyond things like CoQ10, I'm thinking about a lot of the applications of some of the NAD precursors now, NADH, NMN, um, some of those things that I, I think are kind of exciting. The challenge with the mitochondrial piece is if you look at the cell danger response work with Dr. Bob Navial, he talks about how extracellular ATP is actually used as the danger signal. So if you still have the threat the mold, the lime, whatever that issue is that led to your body going into this protective 
hypometabolic state that you've, you know, taken down the, the hurricane shades and the storm is coming, but you never, you get stuck there and you never open them again. You never look outside. You never notice that the storm has passed. And so sometimes I think if you're doing mitochondrial support at the wrong time, or you're being too aggressive, you then kind of have this issue. You have to think about that. If you're in the cell danger response, it's possible that that could backfire. Mm. Um, but there are, you know, things here like loving energy from bio ray is great. Holy basil can be great. So that's kind of the, uh, and those really are more in the adrenal realm than mitochondria, but, uh, there are a lot of good tools in the mitochondrial realm, uh, uh, quicksilver scientific microbe formulas, cell core. I mean, they're all kind of focusing a lot in that realm now and coming up with new tools and then cryptopyroluria. This is a condition that I heard about from Dr. Klinghart, probably around 2000 six to eight, something like that. He and I have actually written two articles on it. Um, it's essentially a condition where you pee out your zinc and B vitamins and other cofactors. And so he likes to say that uh, it's like having an army with no bullets if you don't have the zinc to support the immune system. Hmm. And so it is something where, you know, fortunately he's formulated a couple of products over the years, BioPure Core and Core S that make it pretty easy. Those are tools that I still use, but but if you, if you have KPU, you really want to look at that and support these deficiencies. And then the whole hypercoagulation realm. And years ago, this was an area that David Berg would uh, present at conferences and talk about. Uh, I would say now one of the biggest voices in this realm, at least in my circle, is Dr. Ann Corson. She and I had a podcast on this um, a year or so ago. And, and so what we're thinking about here is that because of mold, because of heavy metals, because of Babesia, um, that the blood becomes hyperviscous, it becomes too thick. And mm. so then nutrient delivery, oxygen delivery, waste removal, all of those things are significantly impaired. And you then need things like Baluk or lumbrokinase or natokinase or serapeptase or uh, pharmaceutical heparin or pharmaceutical lovenox in some cases. And so a lot of things go much more smoothly when the blood is not hypercoagulated. And so that's an area that I really do urge people to talk with their practitioners about. Um, if, if it's not an area that they understand, um, they can reach out to the, the podcast that, uh, that I did with Dr. Ann Corson. And I'm sure she's, um, I know she's lectured on it at several medical conferences and things as well, but that that's a piece that for me was very big and is something that I still, you know, fairly commonly will test to see where's my um, thrombin, anti-thrombin complexes and pro-thrombin one and two, and all, all of these kinds of things, just to make sure that there isn't something going on where I'm getting more hypercoagulated. And we know right now, you know, this hypercoagulation area in the virus that's been affecting people for the last 18 months as part of the pandemic, that this whole coagulation issue is a very significant reason why people have bad outcomes. Well, thanks for educating on the coagulation. That's not a topic uh, I'm I'm familiar with. Hadn't heard of it. I don't know that I've I've personally struggled with it. But uh, thanks so much for for educating sure, sure. on it. Yeah, and on the mitochondria piece, you know, this is something that I felt strongly about for a while. Um, but recently, I you know, I'm I'm much further along in my journey, so it's probably okay for me to to really support. But I, I take a lot of the cell core. 
yeah. uh, might have ATP every day. The hydroxy. You have one of the uh, one of the best mitochondrial tools hanging on the wall behind you there. Yeah, the your, uh, yeah. Your, yeah, so photobiomodulation, red light, those kinds of things can be super helpful in this realm as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's getting to that time of year now where it's starting to cool, be cool here. So I can, I can, during the summer, I don't use it as much, but uh, definitely going to get it cracked, turned back nice. up here. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, so step step nine, and we've got uh, 10 and 11 to go, and then and then we'll wrap. Um, but this is a step, I guess I've tried to get to a couple of times here because everybody wants to get here, which is, <laughs> which is removing the pesky critters, the bugs, the mold, yeah. the Babesia, the Bartonella, uh, the Borrelia, the parasites. So um, tell us a little bit about how we support the body um, and removing these overgrowths. And have you found a hierarchy and how to uh, approach it? Yeah, good question. I, I think the hierarchy piece, different people have slightly different thoughts about it. Dr. Klinghart uh, will often say you want to start with larger and work to smaller. So that means parasites. I know Dr. Watts has a specific model for how they approach it. Um, I think that what we want to make sure we do is set the foundation for then moving into this antimicrobial piece. So all the other pieces that we talked about first, immune modulation, detox, all of those things. And so I would say that a general guideline might be in my way of thinking to start with viruses and retroviruses. Now I realize mm. most people would say, put that later because they're smaller, but my personal experience and having observed a lot of other people is that things like Epstein-Barr virus, herpes zoster, all of those reactivated do create a lot of symptoms for people. And there are also interventions that are generally fairly well tolerated. So I like to bring those in early and keep them on board for a long period of time. Then we get into parasites, gut, SIBO, uh, then thinking about fungus and mold and yeast, and then Lyme and co-infections, maybe then getting into looking at biofilms if necessary. I don't think that's necessary all the time, but there is a, a subset of people that will need to explore the biofilm piece as well. So starting with the viruses, if we're thinking about Epstein-Barr, HHV-6, herpes zoster, and the endogenous retroviruses that I first really learned about from the work of Dr. Klinghart as well, they are made worse by EMFs in our environment. And once these viruses reactivate, I do think we need support throughout the majority of our recovery. So lots of good tools. BioPure, again, that uh, creates products based on a lot of Dr. Klinghart's teaching. So they have one called NV or EN-V. Cystis-T, also from BioPure, can be a great tool. I like the IMNV2 and 3 formulas from Beyond Balance. Microbe formula is the foundation product or what they call Virad Chem in the Cellcore line. I think that's a great tool here as well. Sometimes things like sulforaphane or pantothene or selenium or lysine, and then some of the homeopathics, like we talked about in the drainage conversation, energetics and other companies have homeopathic uh, no-sodes or homeopathic combinations that support the body in dealing with viruses. So like virucord from energetics, for example, can be really helpful. Then we think about uh, parasites, gut dysbiosis, SIBO, those types of things. I think, you know, parasites are so incredibly common. Testing for them is terrible. It, it's really hard to get positive parasite tests. So I think here we combine 
energetic evaluations like Dr. Klinghart's autonomic response testing or Zyto or Quest4 or Dr. Simon Yu's work with acupuncture meridian assessment, which is also an electrodermal screening tool. I do like the para wellness research testing with Dr. Rafael D'Angelo. He looks at himself under a microscope, stool and urine samples and finds very high percentages of samples with some type of parasite. That's a tool that I've used and found very helpful. And then there's other things out there like the GI map. There's a newer test, not specific for parasites, but there's a newer in the biome realm. There's the biome effects test, which was recently mm -hmm. introduced by Kiran Krishnan, which I just had done. And I'm like figuring out now how to adapt things based on those results. So that's interesting. And then when we're thinking about parasites, there's the smaller parasites and the larger parasites. So if we're thinking about the helminths, the nematodes, the worms, but there's also the protozoans or the amoebas, the giardia, cryptosporidium, toxoplasmosis, those types of things. And so I oftentimes like to think about using a combination of herbal products and then also homeopathic products in this realm. So uh, David Jernigan created a product called Paragen many years ago that I really like. I like some of the tools from uh, microbe formulas and beyond balance and so on. But in the parasite realm, I think there is a place here for some of the pharmaceuticals as well, whether that's mm -hmm. Alinea or Biltricide or, you know, Ivermectin. Um, you know, there's lots of things that in in that realm that can be helpful when we're talking about parasites as well. So sometimes it's a combination of pharmaceutical, herbal, and homeopathic. And then looking at SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, it's not so much about killing a bug. There are overgrowths of microbes in the wrong place, meaning in the small intestine. But I think the the bigger issue in SIBO is actually more neurological, more nervous system, more vagus nerve, more migrating motor complex. So this is another one where, you know, you're not going to kill bugs and get better lastingly from SIBO. You have to do those headwaters or upstream type things as well. Um, but certainly managing that overgrowth can be a piece of that. And so there can also be other dysbioses, things like H. pylori or Clostridia or Proteus, Klebsiella, all of those, and things like uh, biobotanical research, biocidin. That's a formula I've been around for a long time, super good, still a fantastic tool. Megasporbiotic, I think, can help in this realm. IMNGI from Beyond Balance is another one. So lots of things there for supporting the gut. And then we think about the fungus, the yeast, the molds. And so the mold being potential colonization from the environmental exposures where the fungus and yeast maybe are uh, things like candida, for example. Fortunately, I think a lot of the natural things do overlap a lot in terms of, uh, you know, herbs and things that can support both. But could we have colonized aspergillus in the sinuses and gut from water damaged buildings? Many people think that is the case. I do think that that appears to happen as well. And one of the things to be really cautious about when we start using antifungals is that these fungal organisms, it's true of paras antiparasitics as well, that you can then release more metals into the system that they were holding on to in, in an intelligent or adaptive supportive type way. And so you want to make sure you still have all that detox stuff that we talked about in step one really going. And so I like in the antifungal realm, 
I like mega mycobalance from uh, Kieran Krishnan, the, the microbiome labs. Mm-hmm. Um, Candibactin AR from Metagenics can be great. Mycoregen from Beyond Balance. A-Fung or FNG from uh, Byron White formulas. And then sometimes there are practitioners that will use the pharmaceutical tools like itraconazole or Sporinox to be able to deal with some of these colonizations. And then now we start talking about Lyme and co-infection. So Borrelia, which is the the spirochete that is the primary microbe in Lyme, co-infections like Babesia, which is actually a parasite, Bartonella, uh, Mycoplasma, Chlamydia that are more bacterial. Uh, Technically, Mycoplasma and Chlamydia are probably more commonly opportunistic infections rather than co-infections. So you, you may not have acquired them from the original tick or other vector, but they're acquired and and activate in the system or become activated when the immune system is dysregulated. And so I like to start with more targeted herbal formulas in this realm, like Byron White formulas or Beyond Balance, where you can be kind of methodical about, okay, and actually this is another area where, um, I I don't know if in the microbe formulas line, I think they, they may have them there too, where they have formulas that are also more targeted for Borrelia and Bartonella and Mm -hmm. Babesia. And so you can kind of then be a little more intelligent about doing what I call unlayering things so that you're not overloading the body and using herbal tools and homeopathic tools in that realm. And then later, I think you can move to broader spectrum tools, um, start thinking about biofilms, for example. Uh, but, but you don't want to, you don't want to come in with a grenade um, right at the beginning, because there will be a lot of, you know, die off and collateral damage um, in doing that, at least in my experience. I'm no longer a fan of super aggressive tools. Um, There is a time and a place for them. There is a time and a place for antibiotics. I'm not against those. But I think we can do a lot now with some of the natural tools with the herbs, with the homeopathics and those types of things. Yeah, I think your approach to starting with the virus is, is, is novel. It makes a lot of sense, right? Because they tend to be really well tolerated um, and, that can, and they present a lot of symptoms, right? So I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's really smart. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the Cellcore folks, but, you know, Beyond, beyond Balance, yeah, they're great. Uh, beyond Balance, um, I'm not familiar with Byron White formulas, but there's a lot of great tools for people out there. And I think your caution about, being very specific and working with a practitioner on how to prioritize things is, is super key. Cause I I'm type a and probably like you, <laughs> I've gone in fast and furious with, I'm going to knock it out this weekend. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way. That doesn't end yeah. well. <laughs> you end up no. feeling crappy for several days. So yeah, been yeah. there, been there, done that. Yep. Yeah. So then the, you know, the biofilm piece, I would say, you know, there is a subset of people that eventually need to work on reducing or breaking down some of these biofilms. If they treat, they feel better, they stop, and then things kind of reemerge. It's very possible that biofilms are a piece of that. I would say historically, it's more enzyme type formulas that people use to break down these biofilms. But when you're breaking down biofilms, you're releasing more microbes, you're releasing more toxins into the system. So you have to make sure that you're still detoxifying, that you're still using broad spectrum antimicrobial tools because you really are kind of opening Pandora's box. I like the cystis T 
that Dr. Klinghart talks about, which he says is more of a selective biofilm reducer. So there are good biofilms in the system too. So we don't necessarily want to just come in and start breaking down all of the biofilms. So I think cystus T does play a role here, can be very strong. People need to be careful about it as well. Some people can't tolerate, you know, a teaspoon, uh, but that's a tool that I think in the biofilm realm can be very helpful. And then there's lots of other, you know, interface plus and MCBFM1 or P and, and, and lots of other tools that can be helpful there. And then keeping an open mind, I think, I mean, I did three and a half years of antibiotics, but this was 2005 when I was diagnosed with Lyme and co-infections. We didn't have all these other cool tools that we have now. So I think for the most part, people can do really well with more natural, less aggressive tools, but there is still a time and a place for them. I would say right now in the Lyme community in the past, maybe two years, there's been a lot of excitement around disulfiram. I have seen people, it seems to be really good for Borrelia, very good for Babesia. I have seen people that have done quite well with disulfiram. Other tools are kind of emerging in this realm as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it, but I also don't think that we ever will eradicate 100% of Borrelia or Bartonella or Babesia. And so I always want to kind of think about, well, what's the potential downside of a certain tool and, you know, compared that to the, the, the benefits you potentially get. So some of the tools that I like uh, in this realm, Lyme and co-infections, BioPure has a number of great ones. I love their cocktail product that Dr. Klinghart formulated. Uh, Dr. Bill Rawls with Vital Plan has a great line. Supreme Nutrition with Dr. Michael Leibowitz. Uh, Beyond Balance and Byron White, we talked about Deseret Biologicals is great. They've got herbal tools and homeopathic tools. Mapa Herbals is another great one. Research Nutritionals, Nutramedics that came from Dr. Lee Cowden's work. Um, I also really like ozone. I think ozone can be mm. very helpful in this realm many different applications of ozone and, and some of them that are more microbial support and some that were in that podcast with Dr. Schallenberger that we talked about in terms of immune modulation and shifting to TH1 and, you know, doing a bunch of other cool things. And then what are some tools we can potentially use that are not taking things? So can we use light and sound and frequency and vibration. There's lots of good tools in that realm. Um, the wave one from free medica is one tool that I personally use on a regular basis and have, um, interacted with them for about the last four years. And I, I think it is a good tool that continues mm. to grow, but you know, there's, there's, there's lots of tools in that realm people can explore as well. Yeah, that's, 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 that's awesome. Tell me a little bit about the, the free medic. I've heard of it. I think I've been on their website. How have you yeah. experienced it? So it is a, I'm looking around my room here to see, cause I had it on earlier. I just don't know where I took it off. I don't think I took it off here. It's a um, frequency emitter that you wear. It's got a couple of three different size straps. So I just usually wear it on my upper arm and then it's using light as a delivery mechanism for frequencies that are then piggybacked onto the light. And so it's primary focus. Uh, there's actually a 90 day kind of protocol that you go through the first month is actually supporting more detoxification and drainage. And then the second piece is what they call Lyme basic. The third, the third month is what they call Lyme complete. And so it's delivering frequencies that are supporting the body in dealing with some of these issues involved in Lyme. I think they, they say something about live, live well with Lyme, something to that extent, but it's a super easy tool. And then I like that they're 
collaborating with other practitioners like Dietrich Klinghart, Christine mm. Schaffner, Lee Aaron Keneally, Keith Pine, uh, Yolanda Hadid. And so they're all collaborating on putting together different frequency packages that's going to be almost kind of like an iTunes, you know, store where they already have programs for like supporting sleep and doing other things. So I feel like, you know, with the same piece of hardware that it's continuing to grow in, in what it can do, nothing's perfect for anybody. Same thing I said earlier, if you're living in a moldy house and mold is your kryptonite, I don't think you're going to put anything on your arm that's going to, you know, lead you all the way to where you'd like to go. But I do think that it's a, a fantastic adjunct tool. The other thing I like about it is the company is confident enough in their in their technology that they offer people a six-month uh, return option, which I think is super that's generous amazing. in this realm. Yeah. Six months, yeah. Six months is amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So step 10. Um, so this is kind of what got me on my journey is dental, dental health, dental work, right? So when I was seven or eight, I smashed out my front teeth in a swimming accident. Um, and that began a series of surgeries and root canals and <laughs> antibiotics. And I think that laid sort of the the, you know, the foundation for me to have some of these gut issues that morphed into, you know, other challenges, right? Once you start, yeah. <laughs> you know, take a couple of bricks out of the foundation, uh, you know, things, things go downhill. So I think that was the genesis of, you know, my, my health journey. Um, so I could very much relate. And I think at one point, Scott, one of my uh, teeth that had been damaged was capped. And uh, when I had that removed, I found amalgam inside the cap <laughs> yeah you know so i i can very much relate to to this here so um tell us a little bit about this process and why it's later in the in the in the order of yeah. you know it yeah it's interesting so i would say you know years ago i would say dr Klinghart would put this earlier in this process I think my observation has been that there are some things that you want to do first to minimize complications from these procedures to optimize the benefits over time. So Dr. Simon, you generally speaking, he's been another one of my mentors. Uh, he would say, you want to address the parasites before you start jumping into the dental work, have the body be a little more stable. Dr. Klinghart now would say that you want to address the silencing of the activated endogenous retroviruses, that they play a very significant role in a lot of these dental issues, particularly cavitations, jawbone infections, those types of things. So for some people, this may come earlier, but I have seen, unfortunately, too many people over the years that have created or even started their health problems, you know, similar to your story, by doing aggressive dental work without the right support, not coordinating with their primary practitioner to figure out the right timing, um, you know, taking out a bunch of amalgams and creating a exposure to mercury that was the instigator of their now decades long chronic illness. So I, I put this kind of towards the end because I think it, it, it can be aggressive and needs to be really, really well thought out. Um, Dr. Simon, you, I would say is probably one of the best in exploring this in a way that's not, uh, conventional. So using his acupuncture meridian assessment tools, electrodermal screening, I went and saw him, I was going to a conference in, I want to say it was 2013, um, 
And since I was at the conference, I said, well, I'm here. I'm just going to schedule an appointment with them and have him evaluate me. I remembered reading a book called Tick Slayer, I believe was the book. It was uh, Perry Fields, who um, now is not as well known in the Lyme community, though has done some other great things and has a, a health product, um, Frau Faller, I believe, where they do all kinds of dental products and whatnot, speaking of teeth. <laughs> um, and in her book, she talked about her cavitation experience where they went in and, you know, cut her open and had all this black motor oil looking stuff that was coming out. And I, I, at the time I just thought, Oh, thank God. I think actually at the time reading the book while I was doing a coffee enema to support step one, if you want to know the truth. Um, and, and I said, Oh, thank God. I never had to deal with that. So I go see Simon, you, and he says, Oh, you have a dental problem. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? And so I knew which tooth, when my lower right wisdom tooth was extracted in high school, I got a dry socket, it had to be repacked, take antibiotics, all that stuff. And so I just didn't give him any clue, no information. And I said, oh, okay, so which, which areas, you know, need work? And he said, oh, definitely the lower right. And I also think the upper right. So he sent me to an oral surgeon, the oral surgeon did an evaluation. He said, I see nothing wrong with your teeth. Like it looks amazing. Like you've done good work. And he said, but I also know that Dr. Yu is really, really good at what he does. And if he says there's a problem there, that's enough for me to explore it. So go to lunch and then let me know if you want me to cut you open after lunch. (laughs) And so, you know, once he got in there, there was, you know, orange stuff dripping out and, you know, they were able to confirm uh, osteonecrosis product uh, bone and whatnot. So I think the amalgams are a piece of the puzzle here that are creating toxicity. I think root canals, because they are affecting the meridian systems and thus organs uh, in the body, and that can actually be bidirectional where the root canal affects the organ or an organ can affect a tooth or a meridian can affect a tooth, but, but there is more systemic Uh, connection between our mouth and the rest of our body. And then these cavitations, which is what we were just talking about, where you most of the time had a prior extraction, like a wisdom tooth, they can actually occur in places where you didn't have an extraction, but essentially it's just kind of this this brewing area of infection that also create mercaptans and thioethers and carcinogens and things of that nature. So when there's a cavitation, I think ideally you, you, you get it addressed. And my question for a long time has been, was having that issue when I had my wisdom teeth taken out in high school and then having that, that low level infection that no one, you know, even looked at, was that another factor that set the stage for me to get a tick bite and my life to fall apart when maybe somebody else is, you know, still out playing soccer and they you know, are loaded with tick bites and infections and things of that nature. Beyond the teeth, I think, The tonsils are an area to explore and think about here as well, particularly in, uh, you know, kids that are dealing with pandas or pans type conditions, probably more pandas and strep associated to the tonsils and thinking about what can we do in this realm on a daily basis to support our, our oral health, which then has an impact on our entire body. So if we look at some of the work of uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen, and I want to say Judy McClossey, who's the, the researcher in this realm, 
where they look at, you know, a lot of the dental pathogens that they find in the brain tissue of people that pass away from Alzheimer's, right? So um, thinking about things like essential oil blends, like oral defense from Supreme Nutrition, or the dental Sidon products from biobotanical research, or, you know, using essential oils or oil pulling, making sure that we're doing what we can to support our oral health. I think the oral biome and the sinus biome are areas that a lot of people just don't think, you know, they have, they're, they're localized. It's not going to affect the rest of my, uh, the rest of my health, but I do think they're really critical and making sure that in this realm, people are finding a good biological dentist and coordinating with whoever is kind of what I call the captain of their ship. Um, you know, if you're dealing with Lyme and mold and all those other things, you want to make sure that whoever is your primary, uh, guide feels like the timing is right to then get into this area so that you don't destabilize things too much at the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will tell you, just share this with you. When, when I, Dr. Mark Briner, uh, in Connecticut did my, my, uh, dental work to get everything straightened out there. And, uh, this is 2003. So this is quite almost 20 years ago and uh, true perfectionist. Uh, he wrote a book many years ago called whole body dentistry. So he he's one of the you know founding fathers of the holistic um, uh, dentistry movement. When he extracted one of my teeth and then he had to go up there and clean it out. <laughs> I mean, he shot me up with everything he had. And it was all he could do to keep me in a chair. There was so much infection up there. Oh, so. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so yes, dental work can destabilize the house for sure. Scott, we are at our last step, step number 11. We've gone a marathon here. Um, close to two hours. Um, so, so thank you. But this final step, and I think it's really important, right? You mentioned regeneration and, and, and restoration, right? So you've gone through all of this. What do you mean by that? And how would you define it? So I would say by the time most of us have gone through Lyme and mold, it's been years, it's been decades, it's taken a toll on our body. And some of these tools you could potentially start introducing earlier, but I, I want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're thinking that there are things we can do to regenerate and restore after we've essentially, you know, recovered from the toxins or the infections or so on. And so phospholipids are some uh, key nutrients that I think can really help here. They are creating the cell membranes. And so we want to make sure we have really good lipids to repair the cells. So I talked a little bit earlier about the power shake that I use every day that includes phospholipids, but there's also the Patricia Kane protocols. People know them as the PK protocols where you can actually do IV variations of phosphatidylcholine, sodium phenylbutyrate, uh, glutathione, leucovora, and those types of things that can be very, very supportive and restorative and regenerative and also get at some of the deeper layers that maybe are not easily accessed by other tools. Peptides, I think, are emerging in this area. I think they're, you know, hopefully they're here to stay. It's becoming a little more challenging to get them, but I know, I know there still are uh, pharmacies and things where people can uh, work with their provider to, to get peptides. And I think they're really interesting in the immune modulation realm as well, but also repairing and restoring and regenerating, you know, BPC-157, for example, but there's a lot of, a lot of peptides that can be very helpful. Uh, photobiomodulation, so red light therapy, the juve, we know that 
Borrelia loves collagen. And so there can be damage to our structure, to our collagen over time. And so using photobiomodulation, juve, whatever your favorite tool is, can be really, really helpful in that realm to kind of support that restoration. I've been largely disappointed with stem cell therapies and exosomes and things of that nature. I think they can be really great for localized issues. You know, oh, I have a knee problem. I need to go fix it. But I haven't seen, I've actually seen very few people that would say that stem cells helped their systemic, you know, chronic Lyme. And if you are going to do something like stem cells for a systemic effect, I think you want to still do it very, very late in the process. Like at this, this point, you don't want to try to do stem cells and things like that when you still have a toxic environment and you still have a, you know, a, a, a bucket overflowing of these microbes. And so I'm constantly interested in stem cells and exosomes and where that's all going to go. Unfortunately, in the chronic Lyme realm, I haven't seen it be the, the magic answer for, um, you know, the, the broader condition. And then probably the tool that I've implemented in this realm, it's probably been about six months now is uh, exercise with oxygen therapy. So using oh, live O2 mm -hmm. uh, is a system that I use and really like. And so in that uh, adaptive contrast system, you're, you're exercising and whatever form of exercise you want. I happen to use a, like a Bowflex M7 uh, interval trainer and you're moving back and forth between like 85% oxygen, which is super high, given that that room oxygen usually is in the, the low 20s. Uh, and then lower, like 14% oxygen, you're measuring with the pulse oximeter where your oxygen levels are, and you're going back and forth between the two. And I feel like that can be tremendous, not only for supporting detoxification, but supporting circulation, getting more oxygen into the system. And so that's probably been my biggest tool in the last year that I feel like is, has really been very, very helpful. And I'm super excited. I feel like it's uh, you know, you, you've probably done this too, where you probably have a closet somewhere or a space in your garage where a lot of your tools go that never quite panned out. And fortunately, <laughs> the Live O2, um, even in just six months, is one of those few tools that I kind of go, you know what, I can still see myself doing this in 10 years. So I, I've great. been super excited about that one. And that's great. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Tim Hip, who was on an earlier podcast, owns a recovery studio. Um, at Haymarket, Virginia. And so it's a bit of a hike for me to get there from, from where I live, but uh, he's got a, a live O2 and cryotherapy and, but yeah, live O2 is, I've done it. <laughs> it's, it's great. It, nice. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a couple of people that have these, uh, uh, it, it's, it's not the stand up cryotherapy, but now have more like the cold thermogenesis tubs oh, yes. that, that are like, you know, they're, they're not cheap. They're five, six, $8,000 or something like that. Um, but, but that's kind of one of the things I'd be like, gosh, in a perfect world, that would be really nice to have that thing already set up and you just go in there for a few minutes. Cause I think cold thermogenesis is actually another area that I've not personally done a lot with, but I do feel like can be tremendously helpful. And so that's an area that I, I still need to explore in more detail, but some of the, some of the tools and tubs and things now that are kind of targeted at that, I go, gosh, that makes it look like it would be pretty easy if you're willing to invest the money into it. Yeah, Luke Story had um, a podcaster YouTube two three years ago about how to build um, a cold, you know, water uh, chest or, or tub, if you will, out of a freezer. 
Huh? Uh, yeah. So okay. that, that, that's <laughs> probably 1500 bucks, you know, uh, nice. Moscow Forge and some of those other ones are <laughs> they're pretty, pretty, pretty pricey. So, um, but yeah, I agree. And, and honestly, I would say, you know, for people listening, um, these conditions obviously can become expensive, but I want to make yeah. sure that, you know, there are tools, many of the best tools are not the expensive tools. So for people totally. that are listening that that maybe feel like it's not quite so hopeful because you're not going to be able to access some of these tools, um, many of the things that I, I put a lot of money into were the ones that ended up not helping at all. And I think there are lots of things that we can do that, that cost very little or don't cost anything at all. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You don't need all the fancy biohacker tools to make progress. You know, looking back, I mean, they've, they've been helpful, um, but some of the s- simplest things I have found are the ones um, that there's a saying that you say, um, everything works when it's indicated, you know, and, and a doctor, I forget his name, um, Dr. DeCenso. And uh, was the guy that said that. And I think it's very true. Like when you really can find alignment between what your body needs and a supplement, it can be you know a game changer or right. the DNRS or, you know, what, whatever, but the, it's the process of finding those things <laughs> can be <laughs> quite a challenge, but the gadgets yeah. are very alluring, right? They're very, you know, and I got a lot of them and, uh, yeah. Yep. I hear you. No, I totally agree. I mean, I've, I've said it's the right person, the right treatment and the right time. Yeah. And sometimes I've had things that I tried and it was just absolutely not the thing. And then years later came back to it and was like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing, this yeah. but it just wasn't the thing at that point on the, the journey. Yeah. So Scott, let's wrap this up. I mean, this can be overwhelming for people, especially for someone who's had these conditions for a long time and didn't know what it was and they've been through conventional medicine. And so they finally find your podcast or my podcast or Dr. Neil Nathan or Klingart. How do you find a good practitioner that can be your champion and advocate and kind of your, your conductor? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say there's a few organizations now that I think um, have physician lookups or referrals that can be quite helpful, or even just some of them have lists online. So the ICI organization that I mentioned, International Society for Environmentally Acquired Illness, ISEAI.org, they have a great list. Most of the people that are attracted to that organization are Lyme and mold literate. So they're pretty broad in this realm. Uh, for Lyme and co-infections, ILADS.org, the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society is great. Mm-hmm. Doc- Dr. Neil Nathan has a uh, link to medical practitioners that kind of approach things the way that he mentors. And so that's on his website, neilnathanmd.com. So I think there are uh, more and more practitioners that are, you know, really getting into this realm of biotoxin illness and doing great work. And those are a few of the websites that I would refer people to, to explore them. And then, you know, looking back at, you know, your podcast and my podcast, seeing some, who are some of the guests that we were drawn to, uh, to bring on to the show. And um, if those people, resonate with them sometimes that's a good way to get to to get to know them as well awesome and scott where can um people find you 
So my website is betterhealthguy.com. My podcast is on all of the common places. You can find it betterhealthguy.com, but also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and you know all of those places. So the links to those other listening platforms are on my website. Um, I also am on the board of directors of the Limelight Foundation, which is an organization that provides treatment grants to children and young adults 25 and under. Um, super fun for me because I don't actually do a whole lot but have worked with them for about eight years mm-hmm. and been able to give out other people's money and see lives change for the better. And mm-hmm. I mean, how, how much cooler could that get? So if there's people that are listening that um, potentially could benefit from that or are interested in supporting that mission, they can learn more at limelightfoundation.org. And then the last thing I would say is um, just, you know, don't give up. I know these conditions are super challenging. I would say, I think now there's more reason than ever to be hopeful. I think we're getting a lot of people interested in research, coming up with new ideas, new tools, new solutions. I mean, it, the, the pace at which things are changing in the Lyme and mold arena to me seems like it, it's the fastest, most exciting time in the 24 plus years that I've been kind of following this realm. And so um, there, there's lots of hope. And I just think that's something for people to uh, to hold on to. Awesome. Well, Scott, thanks so much for giving us uh, a generous amount of your, your time today to sharing your journey and uh, your 11 steps. And I would also echo, don't give up, hang in there, persist, find people that can support you and, you know, ask for practitioners that can really be a guide, a champion um, and your conductor, right. And ask good questions. You know, I've got an article on my website. I can, I can link to you about how to find a good practitioner. <laughs> uh, I can also put that in the, in the show notes. So excellent. Yeah. Scott, thanks. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much.